You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And today, we're lucky to have with us Michael Coles, uh, an entrepreneur extraordinaire, uh, someone who has achieved so much in his life uh, that goes well beyond the corporate spectrum from having founded the Great American Cookie Company, or at least co-founded the Great American Cookie Company, uh, and working as the CEO who helped uh, the Caribou Coffee Company uh, expand. Um, He has athletic endeavors. He has, uh, including uh, three transcontinental records still. Do you still hold those records? I do. Uh, and um, bicycling, by the way, not bicycling, not okay, bicycling, and we'll, we'll, that'll it'll come up again later because uh, we're going to drill down into those areas. But uh, m- welcome to the program, Michael. First of all, nice to be here with you, and thanks for taking the time. Uh, your life could be ca- characterized or categorized uh, in a variety of chapters as many lives can and so before we talk about your book um, that came out recently time to get tough how cookies coffee and a crash led to success in business and life there's the early years the adolescent and young adulthood and early professional life and and then uh, there's the more professional entrepreneurial years uh, and the the three business startup that included um, the Great American Cookie Company and the Caribou Chapter, but your family, your cycling achievements, uh, an accident that that gave you new focus. I I want to start off by actually going back to those formative years um, because in your book you detail episodes of your life uh, that to me indicate lessons learned and some of them not always pleasant lessons um so let's go back to the formative years uh tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and what life was like for you as a as a youngster and then we can talk specifics um beyond that uh so i was born in new york and uh when i was uh four my parents moved uh to buffalo my dad uh was in in uh, the textile business, but not in the way you'd think about it. He was uh, back in those days. They used to recycle a lot of wools and cottons, and my dad basically uh, would they would put those in bales, and those bales would be sold back to clothing manufacturers, who in fact would reuse the the, the material. And uh, my dad went off on his own. Uh, he had done very well. We were, I would say, a middle class family, maybe to upper middle class. We moved from uh, always living in an apartment in like in New York and then even in Buffalo and then we actually were able to move uh, to the suburbs and my, my parents bought a house when I was about five or six and um, but when I was ten uh, my dad uh, had gone off on his own, started his own business, had a fire, had no insurance and lost everything. And so when I at ten uh, my dad went bankrupt and the only thing that I knew about bankruptcy at the time, I knew we had to move from our house. I didn't even—I don't think I even realized we lost our house uh, to, through the bankruptcy. But uh, the biggest thing for me was I had to give up my dog 
had a black Cocker Spaniel named Lucky. And for me, that's what bankruptcy was. Bankruptcy was you lose your dog. Yeah, I have to say that uh, when you start the book, um, because you're talking about those early years and you talk about having to give up Lucky because you're you're moving uh, someplace where you, you can't have Lucky, uh, it was kind of a heart-wrenching moment for me, and I don't want to really dwell on it much, but it, it had to be an incredible lesson in sacrifice. In, and, 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 and the analogy between giving up Lucky and the bankruptcy, I think, is dead on because you didn't understand the financial aspect, but you knew what it was like to have to give up your dog to another another kid, another family down yeah, the street. Yeah, so I was 10, and the family, my, my parents actually arranged for this, because when I came home from school, I had no idea what had happened. I came home, and my basically there was a truck in front of the house where my parents had packed up everything with my brother, uh, who's nine years older than me, and um, my dog was outside. My wagon was red wagon was outside, had the food and the dog bowls on it, and that, that's when I was told that we were moving and we, I couldn't take her. I had no clue that I was going to have to give her up till that day. You make a reference to taking the dog over to this other family, and uh, and the reason, and, and I said we wouldn't dwell on it, but I do want to say that taking that dog over to the other family and the title of the book, Time to Get Tough, you were fighting back the tears or trying to put on uh, a strong face, and, and, and it had to be one of life's lessons about loss and uh, dealing with that loss. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when you're 10 and you're, you're going to a kid up the street that's 8, you know, you're like worlds apart at, at that age. And uh, so um, I was literally fighting back, breaking down, because I didn't want to be that way in front of a young kid like that, even though I was a young kid. And uh, I, I didn't even say a word. I remember just handing the, the wagon over. And uh, I was so angry at my parents, again, because I didn't understand what was really happening, that um, I wasn't crying when I came back. I was just mad. Well, um, it seems to me that that was one of uh, the manifestations of what uh, everybody is now um, regarding as a critical component for succeeding whether it be in school or the business environment or athletically, and, and that quality is grit. And to me, you know, you exhibited tremendous grit, and however angry you were, in some sense you exhibited some manner of grace uh, in some manner. Uh, and uh, I, I wonder, um, along the way, um, were there key people in your life that that's, that it, seems uh, we're instrumental in, in, in helping reinforce that foundation of grit because I, I really think that, that that what I'm referring to as a foundation of grit uh, is, a, is, a, is a critical dimension of who you are. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I had uh, four people uh, who I talk about in my book that virtually saved my life. And the first one was a woman named Elaine Silverman, who physically saved my life. I jumped off a pier. I was very small, and apparently a guy jumped off the pier uh, who didn't see me and fell on top of me, and I was drowning, and she saw me drowning, and she pulled me out of the water. So I wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for her. Uh, and then the second person was a mentor uh, who hired me when I was 13 
guy named uh, Irving Settler, uh, who became much more than a mentor to me, but someone who really, I think, in many ways, uh, shaped a lot of what I've done with the rest of my life uh, when hiring me in the clothing business to, at 13. And then my brother was the third person who um, let me come live with him my senior year of high school, where I didn't have to work three jobs any longer. We can certainly talk about that, but uh, I've, got, I've got to do some, you know, some some work. I was working somewhat, not like here and there jobs. And uh, for the first time, I went from being a failing student um, because of the amount of time I was working uh, to an honor, honor roll student in my senior year. And then, of course, the fourth person is my wife, Donna, who stepped into my life probably at the most important part of my life. And that was, I was in the fashion clothing business. It was a very fast-moving business. It was full of everything good and everything bad you can think of. And uh, I was probably heading down a a road that was probably not going to turn out very well. Many of my friends lost their families, their money, their and some of them actually lost their life uh, on drugs. And um, I met Donna, and um, she put me on a different path. And a great deal of what I've been able to achieve, most of what I've been able to achieve is due to her. Well, uh, tip of the hat to, to Donna. Um, the apparel the industry can be incredibly competitive. And uh, you mentioned Irving Settler. Uh, and in your book, again, in, in, in tremendous detail, you talk about um, that experience and the lessons learned uh, from a man who uh, uh, others uh, might have thought was uh, a, a little curmudgeonly and, and uh, hard to, to get along with. But you were already a hard-working kid. You had already um, created early childhood businesses, whether you were selling stuff out of your wagon uh, or uh, shoveling snow or uh, shoveling sand out of a swimming pool for a hotel. In fact, talk just for a moment. There was a period where you worked for a hotel in Miami after your family had moved uh, to the Miami area. And... um, Tell us about uh, the person that you worked for and how you didn't uh, work for very long and why. Well, uh, we had a a hurricane in Florida, which is not uncommon. And uh, I showed up at work, and I was making, you know, probably 35 or 50 cents an hour or something like that. But my my job was putting out mats, sweeping up around, uh, putting them out in the morning before I went to school, like 5.30 in the morning. I'd go there, put out the mats, and then I'd come back after school pick up the mats and sweep up around the all the people had been laying around, you know, and a lot of cigarette butts and stuff. But this was a very different day. I showed up at 5.30 in the morning, and my boss was there. Hurricane was the day before, or two days before, and the swimming pool was completely full of sand. I mean, it, it, the, the beach had just washed up uh, all into the pool. And I got there, and he was standing there with a shovel in his hand, and basically said to me, you have to dig this out. And so I got in the pool and started doing it. He just kept yelling at me that I wasn't doing it fast enough or hard enough. I was pretty little, too. Sand, wet sand's pretty heavy. And um, next thing I knew, uh, I just basically said, I can't. I'm just not doing this. It was unappreciated. I was unappreciated. Um, 
It was, it was I, I had to get to school. That was the other thing. I just had to get to school. He expected me to stay there uh, and do it, and I just basically quit. And I remember this as clear as day. I jumped over the fence. There was a, like a two-and-a-half-foot-high fence. I jumped over the fence and went next door to the other hotel and immediately got another job. And their pool was way far away from the beach, <laughs> so there was no sand in it. But, uh, you know, I kept that, actually kept that job for quite a while. You know, I asked you to tell that story because, to me, um, one theme throughout uh, today's program will be life's lessons and, and how you applied them. I don't think a lot of uh, people, young, middle-aged, older folks, oftentimes are in situations where they're not being appreciated, uh, where they're... Um, uh, in, in some sense being abused um, either by low pay and hard work um, but you had the instincts to say uh-uh, I, I, I don't feel like I'm being treated right and it literally uh, changed that situation uh, in, in, in minutes uh, by going to the better uh, um, employer the other hotel, the adjacent hotel I, I think that's an important lesson that people have to learn is that uh, you have to value yourself. And uh, if you don't feel that you're you're being appreciated or that you're being abused, to, to move on to a, to a better job. To, to, the grass can be greener uh, on the other side of the fence. We're going to be taking a break. We're here with Michael Coles, author of the recently released book, uh, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and in Life. Uh, and we're going to talk more about uh, the lessons uh, uh, that he derived in his life, which are many and the achievements are many, right after this break. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Coles, uh, someone that uh, most... Uh, regard as an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Uh, he ha- released his book recently, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and in Life. 
And before the break, we were talking about uh, making a job transition uh, from an employer who really didn't appreciate Michael, who was a very hardworking guy. And, Michael, you wanted to add something to what we're talking about. Well, the thing was, I mean, I, I quit that job, and when I talked about jumping over the fence to, and got a job next door at the at the pool, it was because I had to get that job. I, my parent, I mean, my money that I was earning at that point, I had three jobs during that year. Um, my parents would never have understood my quitting without replacing it because it wasn't like I was making this money and going out and spending it on myself. I was making the money and turning it over to my family. You were making a valuable contribution to the family and learning um, the importance uh, of that and uh, out of necessity, uh, which made you a, a, a serious 13-year-old, an enterprising 13-year-old. And before that end of the year, you ended up working with Irving Settler. And tell us how that came about. And tell us, uh, we'll start talking about that because there are things you learn that have served you well to this day, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. So um, Irving uh, had, a st- had a store in uh, Miami Beach called Dorwin's, and when I was able to accumulate some money to go buy some clothes for myself, which was not very often, um, I, I would shop at Dorwin's. And Irving and I, even though I didn't have money most of the time to buy stuff, I used to go there a lot because I it was a very high-fashion store for young men. And uh, I, w- I was really interested in what new things were coming out. And so he and I had developed a friendship, I would say. And I, a friend of mine, Steve, uh, was working for him at the time. When I say at the time, it's because during the course of maybe those first four or five months that I, I got to know Irving, um, two or three of my friends had been there and fired. Uh, he was pretty quick-tempered, hard guy to work for, expected a lot. And uh, so I was in there one, one day. I remember it was hot outside, like it is in Miami Beach. And he and Steve, his friend of mine, were in a screaming match. And I walked in the door while this was going on. And I almost turned around and left. And Irving saw me walk in. And he knew my name, but he yelled out, Hey, kid, you want a job? Now, you got to remember, I'm working uh, in the hot sun on the beach. I'm working for this crazy person that's... Uh, you know, teaching me about electri- electrical work and carpentry also outside in the hot sun. And this is an air-conditioned store with a 50% discount on my clothes. And without hesitation, I said, yes, I want a job. And he looked at my friend Steve and said, you're fired, and looked at me and said, you're hired. And that was a relationship that uh, lasted uh, till I was 19. You know, um, in fact, for listeners, that's a, a chapter in one of Michael's books, Hey Kid, Do You Want a Job? Um, and uh, after going from uh, the Georgian, the bad hotel, to the New Yorker, the good hotel, uh, you uh, landed the job um, with Irving Settler at, at Dorwin's. And there are so many things that you learn, and we could probably uh, spend a, a good part of the program focusing on lessons learned from from Irving Settler, but tell us just some of the highlights, and and, and I do want to interject that you already had a fashion sense. Uh, That's why you were a customer and had been exposed to the store, and um, that stayed with you, the the fashion sense and the industry, the apparel industry, uh, becomes significant, and we'll talk about that in a bit, Uh, but it was fortuitous on many levels. You mentioned that you got a job at a place, air conditioned in Miami. And where you got a discount on some nice clothes. But 
But talk about the kinds of things, because it was a broad skill set that you acquired during that time. Yeah, Irving uh, was one was was not just as I've said uh, many times, not just my mentor, but uh, he he was almost a, a father figure in a lot of ways too. He was a very tough guy to work for, but he believed strongly that you had even if you were not an expert. Uh, in every area of the business, you had to know enough about it so that you could manage it. And uh, I took that those lessons to heart. Sometimes I forgot about them, and I, every time I ever did, it did not work out very well. But when I when I stuck to those core values that Irving taught me, it's always has served me extremely well. And one of them, the stories I talk about in the book, Irving had taught me uh, to be a tailor, and he basically during the busiest season. Uh, that we had back then, which was back to school. We had a tailor named Ralph, and uh, Ralph basically knew that this was a time of year that if he was ever going to get Irving to pay him more money, and Irving was already paying him really well, this would be it, because how else would Irving get all these alterations done? And so he came in and told Irving that he couldn't do the work anymore for what he was being paid, and that he needed to double the, the price of what Irving was paying for alterations. And Irving, without even hesitating, said, don't worry about it, don't take it. I've already, there's another tailor that really wants the work, and so I'll just give him the work. And he's agreed to do it at your price. And I knew there was no other tailor. And I, when, and Ralph left, and I looked at Irving and said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, well, if you had plans this weekend, cancel them, because we're going to have to get all these alterations done. And we did. We, we worked there Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Saturday night. Store was closed on Sunday, thank the Lord. And, uh, but we got all the alterations done. And Monday morning, kind of with his, you know, hangdog face, Ralph came in and told Irving that, um, <clears throat> he would continue to do the work, um, at, at the same price. And Irving could have, and, but didn't. Um, Irving could have held him up and said, no, you can do it for less. And he didn't do that. Uh, but he did allow Ralph some dignity to get the work back at the same price. And the lesson, of course, in it was is that you can never let anybody get you to the point where you have to make a bad decision because you don't haven't given yourself a backdoor of how to resolve it. Well, you know, Michael, that's that's that r- part of that range that I was talking about. I mean, you you learned about inventory, you learned about merchandising, you learned about tailoring. Uh, you learn salesmanship. Uh, it, it, actually, Irving and his wife uh, kind of took you under his wing, and you probably learned a certain uh, amount of social etiquette. I did. And uh, um, <clears throat> so this additional, well, dressing for success, this additional uh, dimension of, of learning how not to let people take advantage of you, I mean, that had to be an incredibly big lesson. And this is all... A thirteen-year-old uh, uh, being exposed. So those lessons from from Irving were uh, r- really poignant, uh, valuable lessons. Let's talk about now the transition. And you know, there's a lot of details, and you outlined them in the book. You're going to have to read the book to, to to hear about how then you were going north to join your brother for a while, and there was another valuable lesson in loss. Um, with your favorite Plymouth. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I, I bought my first car. Of course, it was used. And um, 
is back in the days when, and I guess there's, it's re- resurrected itself. People were really customizing cars, and I had bought this car, and um, I customized it. It was a 50, 55 Plymouth, and I put Lincoln Continental uh, dual headlights on the front. I made the back end of it look like a 57 Thunderbird with portholes in the back, and it was a very cool car. I made the uh, uh, green and white, it sounds horrible now, but green and white rolling pleated Naugahyde seat covers, made them myself, and uh, and then had the car painted pearl white. It was a really cool looking car, but when I went to live with my brother, um, I was never going to be able to find a job where I could uh, pay enough money to live there. And my brother was a school teacher. He didn't have very much money. And uh, the offer to let me come live with him was was kind of a big deal. And so I had to sell the car, uh, basically, so I could pay uh, for him to be able to move, move to a bigger apartment. I could have my own room. Uh, and then it would, it would also help in the cost of food and all the other things. And so, yeah, it was a heartbreaking thing. But, you know, the what I got from living in Rockport, Massachusetts that year, uh, from some of the, the being able to turn my my academic life around was so valuable that uh, it was worth every sacrifice I ever had to make. You know, and and in the book you talk about um, not going on and the decision process of not going on to college because of other opportunities that presented themselves. But you did learn then that if you had chosen to to uh, be a, a, a serious student, uh, you had uh, the capabilities for actually being a really good student. And you were. You were a, a good student of life. I mean, the lessons learned back to Irving, uh, I didn't want to forget that uh, you learned a little bit about electrical and plumbing as yeah. well. I mean, the range of skills. Yeah, so Irving, uh, when I worked for Irving, because I knew how volatile his temper was, uh, from seeing friends of mine not last very long, I kept my other two jobs. I, I continued to work at the hotel for about a year, and the job that I had with our landlord, which was uh, apprentice, electrician, plumber, uh, and carpenter, I kept that job all the way through high school. Uh, and though though it was very valuable because I, I was had some skills that Irving later would uh, call upon me on, and it made, made me more valuable to him. Hiring and firing is something that you love. Oh, yeah, Irving, we were, we were coming into the busiest time of our year, other than back to school, which is holiday, and we had to hire another person in the store, and Irving said, wanted me to hire him, and I did. I hired one of my closest friends who I knew needed a job, but I didn't interview him. I never talked about the job. I never did anything, and he turned out to just be horrible. You know, he was like, took advantage of the fact that we were friends. He would never do anything that needed to be done, and after about 10 days, I went to Irving, and I said, this guy is just not working out. You need to fire him, and he looked at me and said, you hired him. You fire him, and um I never, obviously never had fired anybody before, but I realized that, not again, I don't know if this was instinctive or not, or maybe watching how Irving did it, I don't know, but I took this friend of mine in the back room, I just said, this is not working out, and you're you're gone, here's your check for the time you worked. He looked at me, he said, well, what, why? I don't understand. I said, well, I'm not even going to get into it. It's just, this is not working out, you need to go. And, that, and it affected our relationship for a bit, but we got back on track. Well, you were smart, you were hardworking, you were a quick study, uh, and and Irving recognized this, and I, I you know, I, as I was reading this, I, I thought to myself, I wonder at what point 
Irving became aware that he was grooming you for something bigger, something that that he would um, bring you back to his advantage, but also he was doing some of it in an altruistic way, it sounded like, and when we're, we come back after this break, we're going to talk just a little bit more about how you leverage that skill set, because that's a central theme throughout. You leverage your skill set for the new set of responsibilities and the new opportunities that emerge in your life, and uh, some major struggles and... Uh, major battles with Goliath. We're here with Michael Coles. We're talking about um, his life lessons. We're going to be talking about his book. In fact, we are talking about chapters in his book, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and Life. And we're going to drill down more into the book right after this break. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Michael Coles, who has written a book that is sharing uh, life's lessons that he's learned through the years and and sharing with the the reader uh, various strategies uh, for success and methodologies, um, talking specifically about ways to execute to succeed. The book title is Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and in Life. And Michael, how can people get the book? Uh, it's available on Amazon, of course, uh, both in a Kindle version and uh, hardback. And uh, if anyone, they can also go to my website, which is uh, michaelcoles.com, and we'll give you other ways that you can get the book as well. So, Mike, eventually, um, Irving um, 
needed help, called you back to Miami. Um, again, you had done such a good job. You were so hardworking. You had learned so much. You had broadened your skill set. Uh, and you had not burned that bridge. Uh, you know, when you left, I'm sure he was disappointed, but you had not burned that bridge, and that in itself is, is a life lesson. Um, you went back, uh, began working uh, with him. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to transition to the next chapters. Well, I went back, and, and um, he, the store was still doing extremely extraordinarily well and he asked me to come back and make me a partner in the business when I left I was doing all the buying I was managing the store uh, when I was 17 16 actually started doing all the buying 17 I was managing the store even though I was still going to school Uh, but most of our business came after school mostly after around 3 o'clock and so he asked me to come back and I said well I want to go to college and he said well you know you you can go to college here he said you can go to night school and just come back and help me, you know, help me with the business, and I'll give you a third of the business. So I came back, and uh, what I didn't know had happened while I was gone was he and his wife had separated and then gotten back together. And she, it was very, very different relationship. When I got back, it was bad for me. She was very jealous of me and jealous of the relationship I had with Irving, and so it just, uh, you know, it just didn't work out for me. But... Um, <coughs> But the thing, I, you know, one of the things I want to say about this is really important for me is that what Irving did for me, uh, in, in he recognized the fact that I had a lot of business potential and that I could really probably do something beyond this. And that he, he had a son that he had no relationship with. And so I became kind of that son to him. And when I think about the fact of how much time he took, uh, in teaching me the lessons of the business, so many of the skills that I still carry with me today. Anyone that can find a mentor or be a mentor, think about the fact that Irving's been gone a long time, and I'm sitting here today still talking about him and the effect he had on my life, which is why when you make it, become a mentor to somebody. Well, giving back, um, uh, certainly a, a big part of who you are. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, the attention to detail uh, is, is something that you learned uh, from Irving. Um, uh, always getting better and never taking for granted the customer. Uh, so uh, consummate customer service is something you, you learned, and and that became part of uh, the way that you managed uh, people and trained your senior leadership teams. Um, talk the, about the, the other thing, too, that I got from Irving, which is really important, is that what Irving saw in me, Almost immediately was the fact that I loved the business. I wasn't just working for a paycheck. I loved the clothing business. And he did too, right? And he he shared that passion. Yeah, Yeah. and and I think the reason that he did so much with me was he realized that I had a real real passion for the business, that I wasn't just waiting at the end of the week to get my check and go spend it, that I really wanted to learn from him. Yeah, we uh, we could spend more time talking about Irving Settler because he sounded like a, a guy that was um, a really, really key mentor, if not the key mentor, at least on the business side of the equation for you. Uh, it was like you went to business college starting at age 13. I mean, really, truly, yes, absolutely. like you went to business college and in some sense uh, maybe even graduate school. I mean, uh, some of the quality of those lessons uh, that have served you so well. So. Uh, that was the foundation that was laid for you moving on. 
with a handful or more apparel industry uh, companies where you just succeeded famously, and I'm not even sure where to begin, but I guess we should just let you tell us about that transition and where you went and who you were working with and uh, so I, I uh, after Irving, I met a, a young woman who was from Chicago, and we got married very young. We moved to Chicago where I had to find a job because I was still trying to save money to go to school. And uh, I, I, I looked very young. I mean, I looked very young. At, I guess I was 19. No, I guess I was 20. I looked, you know, I still looked like I was 14 years old. And so I, I went and applied for a job in a young men's store, very similar to Irving's store, and very expensive clothing. And the guy basically wouldn't hire me because he said, no one's going to buy a suit from a guy that looks as young as you. But he had met Irving. Irving was a pretty well-known guy in the industry. And so I said, well, why don't you call Irving and find out about me? And he did. And he came back came back the next day. And he said, well, Irving said, you were terrific. Um, he said, the one thing about you, you're really honest. And he said, but I'm still not going to hire you because I still think you look too young. And I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you let me come to work for you for a month for free? I'll work for free. And at the end of the month, if you don't think I'm worth hiring, you don't have to pay me a penny. Irving already told you I was honest, so you don't have to worry about me stealing from you. But at the end of, at the end of those four weeks, I want a hundred, I think it was 150 or 175 dollars a week to come to work for you. And he said, I don't pay my managers that. I said, okay, then you don't have to pay me anything at the end of the month. So uh, we had the the incident was is that uh, at the end of the second week, this guy's name was Eddie Pillay. He was such a great guy. Uh, he came into the store and there was a pile, literally a pile of suits and sport jackets, like maybe, I don't know, 16 or 18 of them, piled up on the counter. And he was fastidious about a neat store. And he walked in and he said, what is this mess? What is this big mess on here? Somebody get this stuff back on the racks. And I said, it's all sold. And he was just stopped dead in his tracks. What do you mean it's all sold? And I said, it's all sold. And I had a customer, there, Pastor Nack, was the guy named Pastor Nack, and I had sold him all this stuff for him and his son. And um, Eddie was flabbergasted. And because we used to get a spiff, you know, which is a little bonus. If you sold two suits, you got an extra five bucks. If you sold three, you got ten. And no one knew how to calculate as many as I had sold. And uh, at the end of that week, I got my first paycheck. And I want to interject here because we've been talking about that skill set that you acquired at an early age and that Irving helped you with, but actually you acquired that even earlier than Irving. He just sort of helped you embellish. And it's business math skills, business math skills, math skills that uh, are uh, important for profitability. Uh, in this case, important for your own personal money making. But, of course, Whenever you made money, whoever, whomever you were working with made money, and you managed to endear yourselves to uh, uh, Eddie Pele uh, or Pele, and then you went on to Mr. Junior. And no, that was H- Mr. Junior. Oh, that was H- Mr. Junior. And then right. that HIS. HIS was after yeah. that. Uh, tell us about that, that transition, uh, and then we're going to get into um, how you um, became an entrepreneur, but... Um, so I was working uh, at Eddie's, and uh, he knew I was going to leave in uh, January. Uh, I was going I was going away to school, and 
right in November of the year before I was going to leave in January, I got offered an opportunity to go on an interview for a job. That's another funny story in the book, and I won't go into it now. But to make a long story short, I got offered this opportunity and was not going to do it. I said, no, I want to go to, I want to, go to college. And the salesman who had recommended me, this company HS, said, look, he said, why don't you just try it for a year? And if you don't like it, you can always go to school. And he said, but, you know, this is the kind of job you're going to probably try to get when you get out of school. So I figured, okay, I'll forego it. So in January of that year, I went to work for HIS as a trainee. Um, I was the first trainee in the company. And then in August of that same year, uh, at 21, uh, which the old youngest salesman in the company was probably 28 or 29, I got offered my own territory. When I got there, um, I realized why they probably gave it to me. There were 73 territories in the company, and this was number 73. Uh, it was horrible territory. It had been a very good territory, uh, but most of the accounts had thrown the company out. And so I had to rebuild this thing from scratch. And two years uh, after I got there, uh, it was back uh, to number three in the country, uh, Western Michigan, and I won a big sales contest. And um, it was a, a life-changing event. You were hardworking. Uh you were competitive. Uh, you had acquired uh, customer service uh, skills. Um, another thing that you did, and, you know, I, uh, certainly I would be one of the last people to advocate that people do mindless job hopping, and you would too. I, I, I'm willing to bet that strategic job hopping is acceptable. Doing it in a way where you don't burn your bridges, that's... Uh, a, a real skill. Uh, that, that's a people skill. Um, and that's what you managed to do was to move on to the next opportunity, leveraging your skill set, proving yourself. Uh, and, you know, I might, I might add that, you know, this notion of grit, it's kind of elusive sometimes. People, young people don't understand it. Sometimes old people don't understand it. But when someone says, I'm not going to hire you, kid, because you just look too young and no one's going to buy a suit from you, and you said, why don't you call Irving? That simple response is grit. That, that you know, just, you, you did it instinctively. And so you instinctively, I, in my opinion, had grit uh, because you said, call Irving, and then you said, let me prove to you in 30 days that I'm your guy. Right. And, and that's grit. Grit or crazy, I don't know which. But well, yeah. hey, you but know. you know, I, you know, a lot of it, a lot of, I think, in the early years, especially in my my career, a lot of it was uh, uh, desperation too. I mean, you, I had to get a job, and I had to do whatever I could. I knew if he would hire me, that it, within thirty days he would want me to, he would want me to stay on because I had had such a successful career at Dorwins in Miami Beach, and this was this was like a replica. You know, Michael, I have to say that part of the beauty of your book is that, you know, you share a lot of the um, the depths uh, of your life and the downside and the, the fact that you needed to have a job at, a, at various times in your life. You needed to be making money. You're, you know, you're not afraid to describe uh, that you needed to make money. And we're going to be taking a break, but when we come back, we're going to focus on that transition to uh, the cookie company. 
and uh, you had already made a mention of how Donna saved you from continuing on with a lifestyle which can be uh, fast and furious in the apparel industry and you can lead uh, you into a rabbit hole but she said hey there's something more for you and we're going to talk about uh, cookies when we come back right after this break Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Coles, and we're just scratching the surface on some really, really fascinating and, and valuable life's les- lessons that Michael's sharing with us now, but also in his book, um, How, or rather, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in, in Business and in Life. And uh, the cookies are the Great American Cookie Company, which you helped co-found. Coffee is when you became CEO of... Uh, the Caribou Coffee Company, and the crash uh, is uh, a, a terrible episode. Uh, you became a highly skilled competitive cyclist, and in fact, I mentioned at the top of the show that you still hold three transcontinental bicycle uh, or, or cycling uh, records for uh, crossing the country in record amounts of time, each time improving upon your time. Or are two of those individual, and one is with the uh, the group? Is that right? Right. Yeah. One, two, two of the. Well, the, I broke. I broke. I set a record. Then broke a record as an individual, and then uh, I did a four man team race from L.A. to New York uh, in the race across America. And and Michael, I apologize that we we are here in this uh, in the home stretch of the program, and that we've not talked about the Great American Cookie Company and co-founding that company and everything that went into that. Um, and also your cycling career. We'll touch on those now, but it's because I felt like I really wanted to talk about those early life lessons. I mean, I think there are listeners out there, particularly young people, who sometimes don't understand that that there are lessons to be uh, gained from lots of your early um, exposure and that there are Irving Settlers out there that you just have to find and and you have become an Irving Settler and uh, I uh, have tried through the years I think I started tutoring it in the seventh grade and have tried to to be a mentor uh, through the years back to 
uh, Donna helping you make the transition out of, you know, just by saying, uh, Michael, uh, you've, you've got to do something uh, uh, more. And tell us about uh, how the co- the American Cookie Company, uh, the Great American Cookie Company emerged as one of the possibilities and the fortuitous uh, situation with your partner and you having, like, it's great minds thinking alike? So uh, I was in, uh, I had started a company, coincidentally called the Great American Clothing Company with a friend of mine, and uh, the business was changing very quickly. It was moving uh, to Asia. Uh, all Everything that when we started was made in the United States, but everything was quickly moving to Asia. I was already traveling a lot, and now I was going to have to travel, you know, three weeks a month. Uh, and I want, I had three young kids, so I was looking for something else to do. I saw a cookie store out in California in a mall. Um, I'm go through this quick, but I analyzed the business with the store manager. I went back to my hotel room. I had a chocolate chip cookie recipe. I went to a grocery store, bought all the ingredients, bought a postage scale, uh, weighed out the ingredients to see if the food cost that he was telling was actually accurate. Turned out that it was. And so I came back to Atlanta and I said to Don, I'm going to sell my interest to my partner in the clothing business. And while we're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of our lives, let's open a cookie store, one cookie store. And a friend of mine, Arthur Carp, and his wife Susan uh, were good friends of ours. And I called Arthur because I, I was handling marketing and sales for the company. Arthur had a sales company uh, in the clothing business. And I called him to see if he was interested in taking over the sales end of our company. And uh, he asked me what I was going to do. And long story short, it turned out his wife Susan made the best chocolate chip cookies anybody had ever tasted. Uh, she they used to serve them at the clothing shows. And so he, when he told me that they were thinking about doing the same thing, we got together that day. It was incredible. Everything he had worked on, I had not gotten to. Everything I had worked on, he had not gotten to. We decided to put together as a whole. I mean, that's partners. truly great minds yeah, thinking alike. Absolutely. And so, um, again, I'll get through this quick. But, you know, uh, I think when people – first of all, we only invested $8,000, $4,000 apiece, borrowed $25,000 from the bank, of which we had to put up every personal asset we had to get to 25000 mainly because nobody believed you could ever sell enough cookies to pay the rent in a mall. We'd go broke. And so when people hear that we invested just that little amount of money and grew the company to the largest franchise cookie chain in the United States to 100 million, over 100 million in sales, hundreds of stores, everybody always thinks it must have gone smooth from the very beginning. And the one story I must share with your listeners is the fact that our very first day, we put our first batch of 300 cookies in the oven. And when the bell went off to take the cookies out, we realized that we had no potholders and had no way to get the cookies out of the oven. And while people out in the mall are watching the cookies go round on this Ferris wheel with a window in front of it baking, uh, they've literally caught fire uh, and smoke poured out of our oven. The fire department came. The mall manager, who had no confidence in us really to begin with, uh, could have broken our lease. And, and the, the moral of that story, and there's a lot more detail about it in the book, but the, but the most important lesson out of that is that it doesn't really matter how much time you spend planning a business, that we could have been put out of business by a $3 set of potholders, and more importantly, the difference between success and failure in most things is dealing with the unexpected. It's, that is 
that's the difference between to me success and failure. Yeah, you had there's there's a great amount of detail in 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 the book about how you uh, uh, cajoled this uh, perimeter mall manager into l- letting you uh, allowing you to uh, agree to a contract that he didn't ever think you're going to be able to fulfill. The cookies burning, him showing up and saying, "Is this what it's going to be like every day?" Exactly. And so you you capture a little bit of the humor, and there are many details associated with the uh, Great American Cookie Company. But then later, you went on uh, to uh, become you sold that uh, made a, 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 a pretty penny on on that um, deal and. Um, went on to become the uh, CEO of, of Caribou. And in our next uh, few few minutes, uh, I want to talk about um, the, the cycling dimension, which, again, we could come back and have another show and talk about uh, just Caribou or just the cycling. But we can wrap it up here with some of the highlights and maybe tease people to go to the book and learn more. Well, let me, let me just say this, because I think the, the other dimension of the cookie company is that six weeks after we started the company, I had a motorcycle accident, woke up in a hospital with two doctors telling me that uh, I was probably I was going to live, but I'd probably never walk again unaided. And at the same time, we had the kind of success we had uh, in the cookie business. I not only learned to walk again, but through a self-style rehabilitation program, I set three world records riding across the United States on a bicycle. And probably one of the most valuable lessons I learned in that my third attempt uh, to break my record was uh, something I didn't even remember until I started writing this book, which is what happened in the last five miles. And I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the listeners uh, read about it in the book, but let's just suffice it to say that in those last five miles where my body just started to collapse and I didn't think I could even make it after riding almost 2,800 miles across the country, in the last five miles I wanted to stop, quit, and basically get some rest. And what I learned is that it doesn't matter how many thousands of miles you ride or how many hours you put into a project or weeks or months, whatever it may be. It's the last five miles that prepares you for the next five miles because if you don't finish it and put it behind you, whether you know it's not even going to work. You just got to get it done, learn from it, and move on. Uh, it's a very valuable lesson that took me. Uh, to the film industry until Caribou Coffee and uh, um, and Caribou, you know, I, I we we had great success at Caribou, but the truth is, I made plenty of mistakes there, including you know my very first day on the job. So, um, well, I just want to you know add to that that um, we've been talking about grit, and uh, there is the chapter entitled "The Reckoning," and uh, you know, for listeners. If you really want more details of, uh, and, and, and the manifestation of true grit, um, as try as that might sound, uh, read the book because uh, Michael is heading across the country thousands of miles, two hours of sleep uh, on the average per night, just all but totally wasted and coming into California against headwinds I mean, odds against you, you know, a Goliath, if ever there was a Goliath. And, and, and the book has uh, his uh, um, battles with Goliath throughout. Um, and then um, you set these world records. 
and also, I, I, I might add that in the chapters related to, um, uh, particularly the the chapter on um, building a brand religion, you talk about uh, helping Caribou solidify its brand uh, in. Uh, uh, the winning the management team over with uh, half of them, so that that's entitled fifty percent to go. You talk about the, the battlefield. You know, talk about product, environment, service equaling uh, an experience factor, which is a formula <clears throat> that you helped your senior management team uh, learn: be excellent, not average, act with urgency, make a connection, anticipate needs, which is entitled Bama. How to create a sense of community. There are specific strategies and methodologies and really great stories uh, that you tell, Michael. And uh, uh, and a tip of the hat to your uh, co-writer. Um, Catherine who, Lewis. Catherine Lewis, who helped you. Also, uh, the business school, uh, the business college at Kennesaw State University. We're just going to have to have you come back. We're going to talk more about your athletic achievements about um, how uh, you uh, came to uh, be the namesake for the Coles Business College at Kennesaw State University and um, and a lot of other stuff that we couldn't uh, cover one hour. Uh, we probably need about four shows. <laughs> so I want to say thank you. Oh, thank you. you so much for having me. It's, this is great. And, uh, again, one thing I will, will say quickly is that I wrote this book hopefully to motivate people to step out of their comfort zone and do more than they think they can. And you shared with me that originally you were thinking about just pulling it all together to share with your family, but you realize after a uh, few speaking engagements that lots of people could relate to this, so you wanted to share all these relatable stories with more people. Again, we've been with Michael Cole. We've talked about his book, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business Life. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio and Internet next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.